You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, grab your Bibles, your sermon notes. If you'd like, you can follow along. This morning, we want to address this question. Here's the question for the morning. Now what? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, now what? Go ahead. Now what? Last Sunday, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the significance of Jesus' death. Um, defeating death, hell, and the grave. As I said last week, I believe that the resurrection is the single most important event in history. The fact that Jesus got up from the grave is a game changer. But for the disciples who were witness of the fact that He was crucified and resurrected, as they interacted with Jesus following the resurrection, they were wrestling with this question, now what? We saw you crucified We kind of understand what this is all about. Today, obviously, you're resurrected. We see the nail prints in your hands, the wound in your side. Now what? What do we do? How do we we respond? You know, this now what question is a question I think we ask ourselves a lot in relation to different areas of life. And hopefully it leads us to some right decisions and and right actions. But as I think about the now what question, I just several for examples came to my mind. Let's say, for example, that you're in high school and you're a senior in high school and you're thinking about college. There's several colleges you applied to. But how many of you know, if you, if you went to college, there was the college of your dreams. Applied to a lot, but there's the college of your dreams that you hope to get in. So you send out all the applications. Every day you're going to the mailbox waiting for letters of acceptance. And the day finally comes, the college of your dreams. There's the letter. You open the letter. And wow, you've been accepted into the school. Big day, right? But now what? Been accepted. We're excited about the acceptance, but now it's what? It's time to embrace the educational process. It's not enough just to be accepted into the college. Now you've got to go to work. Now you have to well, go to school. Now you have to get the education. I was thinking about a, a couple that's engaged, ready to be married. They're looking forward to the big day. There's excitement. There's anticipation. They've just finished the premarital counseling class and all of the details are coming together for the wedding and they're so excited and finally the big day comes they get married now they're husband and wife the wedding is over now what and how that man and woman how that husband and wife address the now what will determine the quality of the marriage that they have now what or maybe it's, it's, in the, it's in the marketplace, in your workplace. You've been dreaming about, you've been thinking about, you've been preparing for a, um, a promotion. And finally the day comes, the opportunity arrives, there's this, um, there's this job that you've been like sharpening your skills for, studying up for. The boss comes and says, hey, congratulations, we believe that you're the one for this job, here's the promotion, you get the corner office. Now what? I'm excited that you got the promotion, but, but now what, what, what are you going to do with that? What's, what's the next step? And see, I think the disciples were in that place. So we're, we're just after the resurrection. They've been through the gruesome process of the crucifixion, watching the Messiah be crucified. 
On the third day, early in the morning, as we read last week, the women go to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for this burial. They got the spices and they find the stone rolled away. He's not there. They go tell the disciples. The disciples run to the tomb because they don't believe the women. They're, they're doubters. They get to the tomb and sure enough, it's empty. Jesus is not there. And then following the resurrection, and Scripture records this in several places, but following the resurrection, Jesus actually appeared to the disciples a number of times, instructing them, teaching them, talking with them about the now what? Now what? And I believe for every, everyone in the room today who's received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to be asking the question, now what? Now what? It's not enough just to profess Jesus as your Savior. We have to begin to talk about, okay, how does Jesus in me change who I am and how I live? Listen, if the reality of Jesus Christ in your life doesn't change who you are and how you live, then you've got a problem. There's a disconnect. The reality of Jesus in your life, again, it should begin to change who you are and how you live. Why? Because it begins to address the now what? As you pray the sinner's prayer, as you believe that Jesus Christ was the one born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, crucified on the cross, resurrected on the third day, as you believe and as you receive, there's this miracle, there's this miracle of salvation that happens. And if you can think of it like this, that's the starting point of the race. That's the starting point of your spiritual journey. Now what? Now what what are you going to... What are you going to do with that? That's where the disciples were at. And I think for each of us, again, we come to this place of, of now what? What are we going to do? Hey, for the disciples, there was a new era that had come. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the dispensation of the church, or we have the birthing of the church. It was Christ's resurrection and the life that He made available that brought about the life of the church as we know it today. And so Jesus is answering the question in a post-resurrection experience. So he's been crucified, resurrected. He's not yet ascended to the Father. He's having a conversation with the disciples about the now what. So let's pick up on that conversation. It's found, it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 45. It's on the screen if you want to follow along. Then He, being Jesus, opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is, is giving the disciples insight and understanding as to what has happened according to prophecy. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know, the crucifixion, it, I mean, it's just what, it's what the Scripture said. That's what's happened. So he talks with them about the past, what has happened, and then the future, what will happen, what's, what's yet to come. For the disciples and for all who would believe, Including us. There was this new way of life now available. Jesus said in all who believe, there's forgiveness and repentance of sins. For all who believe, there's a new way of life. 
A new way of life that that we're called to walk out, to live out. See, to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, again, it must change who we are and how we live. It's not enough just to profess faith. See, we're, not called, we're not called just to believe. We're actually called to be followers of Jesus Christ. To follow after. How many of you remember as a kid playing the game, follow the leader? Come on. Everybody raise your hand. You play the game, follow the leader. So what was the what was the goal? What was the uh, kind of the, the the purpose of the game? Follow the leader. What was it? I had to follow the leader. Really, that's what you, you were supposed to do. What the leader did. You're following the leader in the same way. Listen, we today are not just called to believe. We're we're not just called to profess. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to, 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 to be like Jesus. We're directed not just to say the sinner's prayer, but actually to embrace a new way of processing life. Just as the early disciples were asking, now what? So for us, we should ask that question as well. Jesus Christ got up from the grave. Resurrected. Defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now what? What does that mean for your life? How should we live? In the few minutes I have left this morning, I want to answer the now what question in relation to your faith, in relation to my faith. Now what? How should we live? The first is this. Because of the resurrection, because of the reality of Christ in our lives, we want to live in Christ. To live in Christ. To live in Christ simply means this. It's to live in the fullness of all that Christ has provided for us. To take advantage of it. You know, there's a true story, a true story of a lady named Hetty Green. Hetty Green's gone down in history as America's greatest miser. A lady who was wealthy, I mean like filthy rich. In 1916, when she passed away, her estate was valued at over $100 million. Think about that, $100 million. I mean, we'd say she was rich. So she had a lot of stuff. She had a lot of wealth. Yet, she lived in a miserly way. As her stories told, she would actually eat cold oatmeal because it would cost money to heat it up. And she had a million. I mean a hundred million. Her son, true story, her son had an issue with his lug, and she waited so long trying to find a free clinic to take care of the problem in her son leg that her son actually had to have his leg amputated. And when she died, she left a hundred million behind. So here was a here was a woman in, make the connection. Here was a woman, Hetty Green who was filthy rich, yet she lived like a pauper. And so many times, that's how we live as believers of Jesus Christ. That's how we process faith. We're wealthy rich. We have this great inheritance, but we don't take advantage of it. We have this great inheritance of all that's available for us in Christ, but we don't live it out. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's on the screen. So let's read this together. Would you read it with me? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Two things you need to get from this verse. The first is this. Notice 
who has blessed us, past tense. In other words, it's already taken care of. It's already finished. It's already accomplished. It's already been set aside. Who has blessed us. In other words, Christ has already provided it. Who has blessed us. And notice it goes on to say, with every spiritual blessing, where? It's on the screen. With every spiritual blessing, where? In Christ. So in Christ speaks of our position. Positionally, we are, we are in Christ. You know, oftentimes we, we talk about Christ being in me, which is true. If you're a believer, you have Christ in you. But you're also in Christ. So think about that. Which is greater, you having Christ in you or you being in Christ? Let's say you're out on Lake Norman and you're water skiing. Boat's going pretty fast. You're feeling pretty risky. And then all of a sudden you crash. And when you crash, you take in a big gulp of water. We could actually say that Lake Norman is in you. <laughs> right? You, you just took a drink of it. Lake Norman is in you, but you're also in Lake Norman. So which is greater, the Lake Norman that's in you or the Lake Norman that you're in? Obviously what? The vastness of Lake Norman. It's the Lake Norman that you're in. So if we can think of it like that, certainly Christ is in you. But greater than that is you're in Christ. And because of that, God bless you, because of that, what you have the fullness of all that Christ has made available through the cross. So don't settle for less. Fully, fully take advantage of all that Christ has made available to you and for you. So now what? First, we want to live. We want to live in Christ, but we don't want to stop there. Here's the second answer to now what? We want to live in power. Live in power, the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look back to Luke 24, verse 49, notice what Jesus says here as He's answering the now what question. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So what had the Father promised? The Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. Matter of fact, if you go back to John 14, in John chapter 14, as Jesus is telling the disciples about His departure, about going the way of the cross, this is what He said to the disciples, John 14, 16, And I'll ask the Father, and He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So what Jesus talked about in John 14 happened in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus told the disciples, hey, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received the power, until you've received what the Father's promised. And what Jesus talked about happened 50 days after the crucifixion. 50 days after the crucifixion, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. If you can think of it like this, as Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit descended. And the disciples were... Endued with power. Now, obviously, they were saved before we get to Acts chapter 2. Right? They had believed in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. I mean, they saw Him. They knew it was real. They had believed. Therefore, they were saved. They were in right relationship with God before they ever got to Acts chapter 2. 
What happened in Acts chapter 2? They received what the Father promised. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting. I, I, I assume you know that Luke wrote Luke. Makes sense, doesn't it? it? The book's named after him. Luke wrote Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And oftentimes individuals, they don't make that connection. So like the book of Acts is a continuation of the story. The book of Acts is the now what? As Luke continues to tell the story of the early church. But Luke chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples and their lives are dramatically, radically transformed. I mean, you study, you study the disciples in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about the same guys in the book of Acts, and it's like they're not even the same guys. What happened? Did they go to seminary and get messed up? No. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What the Father promised, they received. And as you begin to read on through the book of Acts, these are some of the things you discover. As a result of living in the power, they went from hiding behind closed doors in fear to boldly confronting the religious leaders of the day. They began to boldly proclaim the gospel message. Peter preaches his first sermon, Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get saved. Philip goes down to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. People are getting radically saved. In the midst of persecution, persecution breaks out against the church. In the midst of the persecution, the disciples are thriving by the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, supernatural stuff begins to happen. Acts chapter 3, we have Peter praying for the lame beggar. And he's miraculously healed. That's just one of, of a lot of miracles in the book of Acts. Supernatural begin to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. They even received a spiritual prayer language. And that they would be able to worship and, and pray and intercede. Well, they were living in the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what? As the church today, well, we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the same power that the disciples experienced in the book of Acts is available to us today. Same power. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 11, jot this verse down, Luke 11, 11. Luke 11, 11, 11 through 13. Jesus says this. He says, what, what father, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if the son asked for an egg... Would, would, would give him a scorpion. He went on to say, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, live in the power. What do you need to do? You need to ask. I mean, that's what the Scripture says. Luke 11, 11-13. Jesus said, If you ask the Father, the Father gives. So there may be some of you here today who you've made a decision to receive Christ as your Savior. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And now it's time to take the next step. The next step to just simply pray in the prayer, God, I need the fullness of your Spirit. Listen, if the disciples needed the power of the Holy Spirit in the first century, how much more we need it in the 21st century? To live godly in an ungodly world. I'm telling you, that's the process. Listen, parents, that's what you're sending your, your kids into school every day. What, you're challenging them to live godly in an ungodly world. As you go to the workplace, where are you going? You're challenged to live godly in an ungodly world. And what we, now what? We need to live in the power. 
But we don't want to stop there. Here's the third answer to the question, now what? We want to live out the faith. We want to live in the faith and live out the faith. In other words, we don't want to just profess the faith. We don't want to just profess Jesus. We actually we want to walk out the faith. We want, to, we want that or the reality of Christ in our lives to impact who we are in such of a way that it changes how we're thinking, how we're acting, how we're reacting, that it's changing and impacting the attitudes that we're processing life with. What? It's the reality of Christ in us. Now we're living out the faith in such a way that it's impacting others. You know, it's interesting as you look to the early church, kind of a summary of the early church, as they begin to live out the now what? As they begin to live out the faith, I want you to listen to this summary, because I think it's amazing how Christ in them, and them being in Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, how it began to impact their lives. In the, God, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, Verse 42, listen as I read this. And again, this is a summary of what was happening in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And notice, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As they're living out the faith, what there was unity in the community. Imagine that if we could all just get along. Wouldn't that be something? As individuals had needs, other individuals, they were leveraging their capital to meet the need. And people were gathering and they were worshiping, they were celebrating, they were consistently, continually gathering for, for teaching and discipleship and growth. But they were walking out, they were living, they were living out the faith. In the same way, well, we need to live out our faith on a daily basis. As I said earlier, being a follower of Jesus is more than just professing your faith. It's choosing to live out the faith daily as we're growing in our relationship with Jesus. So don't just profess the faith. Don't just profess knowing Jesus. Live the faith in such a way that others profess Jesus because of your faith. Because you're living it out. You're walking it out. Here's the last answer to the question, now what? And it's this, live on mission. Live on mission. Listen, Jesus didn't save you just to get you to heaven. Now heaven's a part of the deal. Heaven's part of the package. One of these days, um, as we come to... Uh, our expiration date. If you believed in Christ as your Savior, you're going to get to go to a place of heaven. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus. But listen, Jesus didn't save you just to get to you to heaven. If He did, guess what? You wouldn't be here right now, right? He'd save you and zap you, right? Before you had an opportunity to screw anything up. Right? Get you out of here. Save you, zap you, you're in heaven. But that's not the plan. Jesus has brought salvation. He's made salvation possible. 
that we can enjoy a life-giving relationship with our Father, that we can honor Him in our lives, and so that we can be a part of His work in our world. If you can think of it like this, we've been rescued to be rescuers. Rescued to be rescued. See, Jesus has secured our salvation. He's put us in His family. He's given us His Spirit. And now He's made us His agents in the world. Pastor Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, summarizes it well. Listen as I read this statement from his book. Your mission is so significant that Jesus repeated it five different times in five different ways in five different books of the Bible. It was as if he was saying, I really want you to get this. Listen, telling others, telling others about how they can have eternal life is the greatest thing you can do for them. If your neighbor... If your next door neighbor had cancer or AIDS and you knew the cure, you knew the answer to their problem, but you didn't share that information with them. They had cancer, you had the solution, but you didn't share that with them. Listen, that would be criminal. That would be like unthinkable. Why why would you not share the information? And even more so, to have the knowledge of how individuals can have their sins forgiven and to have abundant life in eternal life. For you to have that information and not to share it. Hear me, friends. It's unthinkable. Unthinkable. So we have the greatest news in the world and sharing it is the greatest kindness you can show to anyone. So wherever you are, you you need to live on mission. If you're on a college campus or you're on a high school campus, listen, that's your mission field. If you work in the banking industry, you're at Bank of America, listen, that's your mission field. If you work on a race team, that's your mission field. If you live in, in Burkdale or Northstone or Cedarfield, listen, that's your mission field. See, we, we need to change the way we think. Because, see, we've been, we've been programmed that, to think that what we do is who we are. And, and I would suggest to you that's not true. See, for some of you, let's say if you work in the banking industry, you work for Bank of America or Wachovia, you've been thinking because you work in the banking industry, you've been thinking that you're a banker. And you're really not a banker. What you are is you're an undercover agent for Christ who happens to be working in the banking industry. Some of you are are contractors. You've been thinking, well, I'm a contractor because I build things. Maybe you're an electrician on a job or a plumber or a carpet layer or a framer. And you've been thinking, well, I I build things, therefore I'm a contractor. And I would submit to you, no, you're really not. What you are is you're an undercover agent for Christ who happens to build things. Maybe you're working in a race shop and, and because you're working in a race shop and because you build engines, maybe you've been thinking you're an engine builder. You work in the body shop and you've been thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a body shop technician. And I would say, no, really, you're not. What you are is you're an undercover agent for Christ who happens to build engines. Maybe you're a student at Huff 
high. You may think, well, I'm, I'm a student at Huff High and I go to school there. And I would say, you go to school there, but really what you are is you're an undercover agent for Christ who happens to be on an assignment at Huff High School. See, we have to change how we think. What now? We want to live our lives. We need to live our lives on mission. And my point is simply the mission field is wherever we happen to find ourselves. So be on the lookout for opportunities. Because the mission field is all around you. Don't live on mission. I, I want to leave you with a quote. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Paul Powell. I heard this years ago and it stuck in my mind. Dr. Paul Powell wrote these words, God didn't save you to sit soaking sour. He didn't save you to come to church. He saved you to be the church. The challenge becomes, after you've been in church for a while, you just get comfortable. And you have a tendency of moving toward the sit, soak, sour. You come and you sit, you soak it in, and you begin to sour because you're doing nothing. Well, you haven't addressed the now what question. Again, Jesus didn't save you just so you could go to a church building. He saved you to be the church. He saved you to live out the now what? To live in Christ. To live in power. To live out the faith and to live on mission. That's the now what? So again, it's not enough just to profess Jesus. That's the first step. That's a good step. It's a right step. But you can't stop there. Now what? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the fact that Jesus Christ rescued you? What are you going to do with the fact that Jesus Christ is resident in your life? Now what? Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. I thank You, Lord Jesus, that You came and gave Your life that we might have life. I thank You, Lord Jesus, that You got up on the third day, that the tomb is empty, that You are the resurrected Savior. Because of that, we have life. Lord, for that, we're grateful. But Lord, I believe for every individual today who's a believer, who's a, who's a follower, who's professed You as Savior, Lord, we have to ask the next question, and it's now what? Now well, what are we going to do with it? How will the reality of Christ in our lives change who we are and how we live? How will it change how we relate? How will it change the attitudes, the thought process of our lives? Holy Spirit, I ask that You would help all of us. And I pray for everyone in the room today. This is not, this is not a... We need to raise our hand on this. God, for every one of us, we need to be asking the question, now what? So Holy Spirit, help us to live in Christ, to fully take advantage of all that is ours, all that's provided through the cross. Holy Spirit, may we choose to live in Your power just to open our lives. Lord, Your Word says if we ask, we would receive. All right, may individuals today be willing to take that next step and ask. Holy Spirit, help us to walk out the faith, to live out the faith, and then help us to live on mission. Lord, what I know is that a lot of people around the world who desperately need You in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in the world, 
Holy Spirit, may we be those who choose to live on mission. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.